Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining us today here on The Voice of Islam. Today is Drive Time Show with myself, Reza, Brother Qiyum, and Brother Daniel. Assalamu alaikum to you, gentlemen. Wa alaikum assalam. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Wa alaikum assalam. Peace be on you, gentlemen. Both of you look so fresh and mm, energetic. There it's amazing go. on a Friday, Friday afternoon. What's the secret of your energy? <laughs> the, the, the secret. <laughs> as soon as I saw you, I just lit up. Yeah, absolutely. The secret is uh, is you, uh, Kayum, um, si. brother Kayum. You you are the you on, on a, you on are, a, are uh, the energizer. On a, on a Friday afternoon, you don't expect any sensible answers from these two gentlemen, can you? Uh, you know, it's it's even on a genuine question. Let's let's beat up the old man. <laughs> But now I, that we got that do, out of the way, but, but, I, but I do agree with you, both of you young people. You know, yes, get, I you. do get your energy from an old man like me. Yeah, I do. I don't know about anybody else. How has the week been? The week has been fabulous. Uh, yes, uh, it was um, a rather hectic two to three weeks before that, because of the annual convention or the Jalsa Salana. Lots to um, to do in the wake up to the Jalsa and then the Jalsa days, the three days were also very busy, as you can expect. And therefore, uh, the week uh, starting this Monday has been uh, sort of a week of reflection, a week of, uh, you know, looking back at Jalsa, a week of uh, learnings from Jalsa and also a week of uh, a little bit of recovery. So what did you take? I mean, just for the benefit of the listener, um, Brother Daniel is referring to the spiritual gathering that happened last weekend. Um, which was the annual gathering, international gathering, which is hosted uh, by United Kingdom. Um, three days of uh, spiritual enlightenment, which we had been waiting properly for about four years, and it mm-hmm. happened on this weekend. Um, what did you take away from it? I mean, I'm, before you answer, that is the topic. Um, for the first hour or so, we're going to be reflecting mm-hmm. over... Uh, the next hour or so um, as to what we have taken away, what we have learnt, um, what has been the, the the outcome from a from a personal perspective. We're going to be talking to various guests who are going to shed some light on how this spiritual gathering was organised um, and what work went into this uh, farmland which was turned into a mini city or a mini town um, mm. over a period of 28 days but um, before we do that gentlemen if I may ask what uh, what did you walk away with um, as individuals um, from the spiritual gathering sure uh, excellent question brother Guillaume yeah so a couple of takeaways from me that uh, <clears throat> that I've been thinking about uh, and and both of them came from two addresses of His Holiness. I mean, this is um, this is a gathering, probably the only gathering where, in three days, you get to listen to His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad, who is the current head of the Amdiya Muslim community, uh, the worldwide head. Uh, may Allah be his helper, four times during three days. So um, uh, both of my sort of takeaways uh, were from his addresses, and uh, the first one was. Uh, yeah, the first one is from his uh, his final address in which he talked about the importance of forgiveness, the importance of brotherhood, uh, the importance of uh, uh, forgive and forget and moving on. 
uh, and uh, uh, not keeping grudges, uh, and how Im- how important that is within Islam. Islam is uh, half of Islam is about uh, uh, rights of humanity and rights of others. So uh, so yeah, so that that definitely was one. And uh, before I tell my second one, um, brother. Yeah, I, I think it started for me. It started even before the 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 convention started on Friday. I mean, I mean if you go back to the, the the previous Sunday, the instructions that His Holiness gave in the Friday sermon before that, and also on that Sunday, the what we call the inauguration, where he comes and he observes, um, and 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 takes a look at all the preparations, gives any um, advice that uh, or instructions that need to be implemented. And I think I genuinely saw the uh, the happiness, the joy, the smiles mm. on people's faces because that's I think one of one of the things that he specifically ad- addressing the workers, those people who are you know responsible for all the departments, those who were on duty, that greet the guests with a smile. I mean, these are people who came after four years, and before the pandemic actually started i mean this this is and was one of the key conventions in in the entire world for for Ahmadis, of course based on the fact that his holiness resides here um and i genuinely felt that this is something that pretty much everyone adopted throughout throughout the convention so we're looking at thousands of of workers i mean of course i didn't see and meet all all of them but you get to meet at least a good good 100 200 if not more mm. and all of them I, I kid you not they all display the same kind of emotions yeah absolutely and i think uh, just to give some context to what uh, you just said so this 3 day convention um during the 3 day convention more than 250000 meals were prepared 41000 people attended this convention 7000 volunteers volunteered to make this happen um, the roti plant or the flat bread, uh, bread plant uh, produced thousands of roti. I think it has has a capacity of 9,000 flat bread um, a day. Um, sorry, 9,000 an hour. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, <coughs> you know, so this is, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a convention which is, uh, which is really created out of nothing in a farm within a period of 20 days. 28 days it is constructed and unconstructed all within a period of 20 days because that 28 days because that's what the um the council allows um us let's now go straight to our first guest who is uh, mr farooq mirza and let's talk to him about his reflections uh, on jalsa salana assalamualaikum jazakallah thank you very much for joining us today um mr farooq you are, the, or you served as the deputy officer of the Jalsa Salana, the annual convention, overseeing the event management center. I, I want to ask you to please maybe start off with that. What what exactly is your role? What what does it include? And correct me if I'm wrong. This is a new department that was that was started this year. This is a new department, and I'm just going to pick up on uh, one of the comments actually that was just mentioned about the 28 days and, and alluding to the council, etc. So I'll, I'll bore you and give you a little bit of a <laughs> background into what it is and how it kind of got there. Um, so five, six years back, um, this is under the Sadarat of uh, what well, the Associate of the Khalq then was Mia 
you know, Wakasa, we, we came up with this idea after liaising with the council and the health and safety, all the, all the authorities um, uh, to have on, on a plan to have a kind of a command centre, a central command centre uh, for communication. So we started off then with the vision of one day it's going to get there, but we originally, we proof of concept security. And all the radios and communications were going through there. We started logging all the instances. We gave them wider support. Now, moving fast forward, we, we, you know, we, we got that whole process really tightened up and everybody on the security side, all process and procedures and, and all the, the activities, traffic, car parts, all that kind of good stuff, they got used to it. And now, you know, we wanted to take it to a new level. So uh, now we're in 2023. There was some legislation that is coming up on the back of uh, some attacks that happened in Manchester in 2017, where you know sadly people lost their lives due to a terrorist act. Um, and on the back of that, the government launched an independent inquiry, and without getting too too much in depth they said all events now moving forward above a certain number are going to be have to be compliant for something called protect counter-terrorism protect so with that in mind a lot of there was a lot of meetings behind the scenes a lot of planning with senior counter-terrorism officers senior Jota Solana um, staff but mainly guidance from Huzuri Endus because that's how we got there Hmm. um Year after year, Hazul used to come into the command center. And when we started off, it was one TV screen and one radio. And Hazul was giving us guidance, right? He would say, literally look at us and give one or two words. And as you know, right, better, better than anybody, those one or two words, when you ponder them, they're like a, like a seed that just sparked off so many different ideas and concepts to eventually get to a place where you've got this command center that's got 20, 30 screens, drones, you name it, right? Um, mm. So what we decided to do this year with Hassab's approval and, and the backing of Amir Saab and Afsad the Saslana was to now bolt on, take it out of Khidam the Khalq. Essentially, Khidam the Khalq still do all of their great work that they've been doing with security, but add on Jalsagar, Lejna, Utilities, Health and Safety, everyone focus them to pull through a central collaboration hub where you have key decision makers everything's coming through there via radio we've got an incident management log now Jotagar doesn't have to run off and use their contacts put up their phone that you can't get reception on they can radio through to us to say lights are going down ac units not working fences are collapsing i've got a suspicious package we've got people then who will centrally pick that up triage that issue and get all the relevant key stakeholders needed to make a decision mm. and get a resolution for that problem. So in a nutshell, that's what the event manager center was. And it was, it was challenging. It was challenging up until the moment, and I'm, I'm probably you know, sounding like a, uh, you know, a bit of a scratch record, but on Sunday, because we had a lot of open questions. It was a massive challenge trying to get this in. Complete culture change. Hazuri Ogdus graciously came to the EMC this Sunday. He went to two places. He went to the new butchery, which was fantastic. And everyone, you know, all, all, all the viewers need to get a bit of history behind that. It's amazing. And then he came to the EMC and he spent there the longest, I believe, or one of the longest. And 
as in Hazul's own way that he has done historically, he asked questions provoking the answers that he wanted to hear. Hmm. And there we go, it turned that actually gave us exactly what we needed to do for the following five or six days over Jalsa. Um, and Alhamdulillah, we managed to come out, and and it it, it was a it was a raving. Well, it, by all accounts, it succeeded in helping us. You know, we had our first uh, major incident crisis meeting in there on a Friday when there was issues with traffic. Suddenly, you know, various teams were deployed, drones were deployed, um, external agencies were were spoken to. Amisa was saying that Nasrakhan, key decision makers making those those decisions that otherwise would be a lot more difficult to do when we're all running around in, in you know, the, 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 the organized chaos of Jalta in our buggies and on our bikes and what have you. So it was really helpful, Alhamdulillah. Um, Farouk, uh, it's Kayum here. Peace be on you, brother. My what? dear friend, you, yes. how are you? <laughs> I'm always good, always good. It's going to be very tough to keep my professional voice on with you, thank you. <laughs> I'm grateful to you. What kind of challenges did the weather bring on? Because considering it was the first time that you're putting these systems into place, so surely the the, the weather was a, um, was a good test, I suppose, for future uh, gatherings. Well, so something I'm going to bore you because you, I know for all the viewers, right? You you you've been part and parcel of the mechanics of Jalsa, so you're asking me that question, knowing the answer, but. We got here, actually, Hume, because of the weather. So in 2006, I'm really going to show my age, but in 2006, we had our first Jalsa here. Um, everything was brilliant. Weather was great, and, you know, <laughs> Alhamdulillah, everything went well. In 2007, the rains came, and, the, you know, the, the heavens opened. Yep, I remember. And we had a really challenging Jalsa. You were there. I, I, yep. I remember you every step of the way. And... After that, we had so many different challenges that we faced. All of a sudden, before, it was just us turning up with, you know, within, we didn't have the 28-day rule. We had nothing. We'd come, we'd set up on site. The challenges brought on then were by the council and the authorities and the locals. But it, it helped us because since then, there was a safety advisory group, which is a SAG, that was set up in 2008 moving forward. That meant the minute a JOSA planning starts, so we're talking November, right? a safety advisory group headed up by Hampshire District Council with all the key council leads, including health and safety, food hygiene, highways, but then police, fire service, ambulance. They are all sitting around that table. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be on that since two, 2008 or, or short straw, whatever you want to, whatever way you want to look at it. And that, by the end of, we ha- we have, about eight or nine meetings, we put documentation called an event management plan together. That's got our health and safety. That's got how we're going to do our food hygiene. Something small. How we're going to handle food in the in the bazaar. How do we wash our hands? How do we sleep people? Is there enough distance between how uh, our sleeping arrangements are, our marquees? If there's a fire hazard, there's slips or trips. So many different things. What are you, would you do in the event of an incident? So the challenges that 2007 kicked off, alhamdulillah, the processes that we put in place, our traffic management plan, our highways, helped us get to where we were this year. Now, this year, what happened was those challenges returned, as you, you, you just mentioned, right? 
and it was very difficult to to get around those because we had a you know we we had a Jilsa with numbers that we've actually never seen before. Um, however, this is where the EMC kicked in really well on Friday. We had challenges with with traffic, um, you know, known, known challenges. Hassab gave guidance on Saturday morning. We started working really closely. We had our first crisis meeting. We had Weedsab, Nassab, everybody around the around the room, key decision makers. And then we subsequently were able to get information a lot easier. We had motorbike outriders, drones were in the sky. We could channel traffic through different routes. We could send communications out via the Jamaat, um, via the Jamaat angles, via regional leads and local presidents to say, if you're coming in, don't come in from this side, come from that side. So it, it was very challenging for you, but we took steps, as many steps as we could to try and kind of resolve it, but it was difficult. But I would say by Sunday, a route that took uh, two hours from Alton Town Centre took 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And there was more cars on, on Sunday. So I, I, I tell you why I asked the question. Because just for the benefit of our listener, um, who's not a Muslim, who's not an Ahmadi, who hasn't attended a special gathering, the reason why it was so relevant to ask is because everything, all, all the, the way you make it sound, that there's a team of these professionals who work in these fields, but to the contrary, every single individual that you've mentioned is a volunteer. And, and that kind of completely shifts the narrative of how such a huge event is is being organised, and I wanted our listener to to um, to kind of get the real picture here that these are not and you yourself, um, this is not what you do for a living. This is something you volunteer to do. All the other officers you've mentioned, they're volunteers who are doing this. And hence why I asked the question. But my next question is that these kind of events can never be done and uh, will never be successful unless you have a good front line uh, serving the public. And we we normally refer to them as Muavineen. How, what kind of training gets put into place for these front line workers to to uh, to to make the event successful? really interesting question actually because this year coupled with the challenges that you've mentioned we had a lot more manpower done a fantastic job uh, i have to underline that they had they had record numbers of more than any um present on site but that also is not not easy right because you've got to then train them up so this is what we started bringing in over the last six years we started moving more towards professionals coming in and helping us with our training. So uh, you, you know this very well. You know, you served uh, countless number of years in Pakistan, so you know this very well. But we, from a, we've, got, we've got a training in Azamad that looks specifically at three main areas. So we had professional training by that was done by police officers put together with a, a complete counter-terrorism um, theme. And that's been going for the last five or six years. We, revi- we revisit every year, really, um, to see what's new, what kind of threats are we looking at. Then we do four or five sessions with those more than any who are specifically looking at training leading up to Jalsa. 
So the training that they get, and I, we we always have, you know viewers don't know this, but we have a a sign off even from kind of terrorism from police. Are our processes and procedures in place? They look at that training and go, well, you you you'd actually pay thousands for this outside of the market. We also now have started including traffic management training. There used to be, uh, you know, viewers probably could remember there used to be a lot of police around. They used to help us with our traffic and they used to all that good stuff. But now, over the course of the last few years, police are legally not allowed to do traffic management. So we've had to train up our own marshals to support the external traffic management company. And we've been adding that training. We also have um, first aid and especially fire response training. It's, it's a very... It's a completely different um, training to do. So when you've got, you know, you've just mentioned Morvanine, new Morvanine coming in now compared to the time when me and you got involved, you know, it's a completely different world, right? They come in with uh, with little or no skills and they leave, you know, security specialists knowing how to do first aid. Right? It's complete, completely changed. But the EMC is trying to bring that all together because we've got so many talented people We've got so many talented streams in, in Joseph Lana and honing that all in, bringing it all in into one central communication and collaboration hub, which is something that Hassan's been pushing us, the direction Hassan's been pushing us. Uh, you see, he saw this you know, six years ago when he first walked in, he, you know, he, he said to me, I was lucky enough to uh, be next to Hassan when he walked into the EMC. The first thing he said to me was, well, you started off with one cabin. And it's now a huge marquee. But he saw this then, and then now he's seeing another six, seven years ahead, right? Um, so I, I think it's, it's a really exciting time for anybody who's not involved in Jalsa, just sees, you know, just thinks, oh my God, all it is is traffic and, you know, bad weather. No, come get involved. It's a really exciting time to be involved in, in Jalsa Salama. You're learning so much. The skills you pick up here, uh, you know, and you, you, you can probably echo this, right? You don't get these anywhere else. You know, where in, or, you know, you, you mentioned this at the start, where will you be able to set up a site mm. within 28 days, secure it, and then take it and, you know, wrap it back up? Our event management plan, it's worth adding, um, our event management plan that initially in 2007, you know, it took us years to get where it is now, actually has been picked up and used by other event organizers and it's been encouraged by the council. So Farnborough Airshow looks at our event management plan and uses it as a blueprint. Nasser Khan Sab last year got a call from the head of Hampshire Fire. He asked permission. He said, uh, Nasser Sab, you've done such a fantastic job, your fire response, your, uh, your emergency procedures. Can we use your plan? Can we you know, <laughs> encourage other event organizations? To use it so wow. yeah al alhamdulillah so it's, it's, we've, we've come a we've come a long way but there's so much more to go right wonderful absolutely um brother farooq one last question i want to go back to the traffic management issue on friday sure. because that's something that's much talked about and a lot of people did get affect uh, affected by that on friday um so the first part of question is um did we uh, did we coordinate enough on Friday with the local authorities? And number two, what lessons have we learned from that to make sure that it doesn't happen again? So we did, and w without wanting to get too detailed and scare anybody off, uh, what happened on Friday was we had a, uh, there's various different things, but if I was to summarize it for you, knowing that, you know, I, 
I'd done traffic since 2003 to 2011 was that you had a, a bit of a, you need to improve our communication with the traffic management company. They were new. They've been doing events, concerts, but they've never done anything like Jalsa. You're talking about no matter what we do, no matter how good our processes are in getting cars in and out, everyone needs to understand it's still one road leading to the site. Mm. What we, what, that specific next day, we started looking straight away. There was, there was slight improvements on Saturday. And again, I'm going to go back to it. Hassab gave us specific guidance, right? He, he literally told us to go have a motorbike outriders. So on Sunday, where we had the maximum number of cars, we tested, you know, you, you mentioned lessons learned, what lessons were learned. We looked at the improvement uh, the, the, in the communication with the traffic management company, specifically had them in um, our crisis meetings to say, okay, you may have done this in an organization elsewhere in this, but here is completely different. This is the psyche of, uh, of how our people, this is our culture, um, the, and went down and we literally went through each, you know, Sub mentioned Morvanine, went through each Morvanine, each gate, each department. And there was more, there was more cars on Sunday um, and we, we literally almost said to them in a, in, a, in a very respectful way, you know, thanks, but now take a slight step back because we can do this, right? Then they improved. They learned how we, how we move our traffic, how we bring uh, cars in, not clogging up one end more than the other. There's so many different um, ways you can speed things up. And we tested. We had motorbike outriders outside all the time. We had drones giving us feedback. Um, sadly, on Friday, I think we were affected by some roadworks that, hmm. uh, in, in, and not even in Hampshire, in Surrey, um, that shouldn't have been there last minute came. So it didn't help things. But uh, I hope the viewers saw a change on, on, on Sunday. But we've got to take a lot more lessons. Like we're doing a, you know, we're, we've actually started looking straight away now at what were the scenarios that we looked at at the gates that didn't help and then what were the scenarios that completely changed things on Sunday and now let's retrain them. Mm. Wonderful. What... Um, Brother Varouk, thank you so much. I mean, uh, you've actually given a lot more details uh, than, than, than I was expecting in that. But, you know, we live and learn. We live and learn. And, and we again, I'll go back to it. We are a voluntary organization. We have, uh, you know, there, there's so many questions I can ask you even more. Um, but uh, in respect of your comment about, you know, do get involved, uh, give me a call. <laughs> give me a call. But uh, um, just before you go, I know, I, I know that, uh, you know, you've been working 40 years, you, your team, all the different people who have volunteered in, in the setup of, of the annual gathering. And all I'll say to you before I let you go is may God bless you uh, and may God reward you for all the work that you do in bringing 42,000 people together uh, under one roof um, and where, where they've been looking forward to it. And, um, you know, may, may Allah reward you and your team and every single person who was involved um, in, in this event. Um, and uh, as I said, I'll, I'll take up my conversation with you uh, off, off, off air uh, until, <laughs> okay. until, until we do speak. Um, have a fantastic weekend and, uh, and a Friday evening. May peace be with you, brother. There we had uh, Brother Farouk, um, and I can firsthand, uh, I, can, um, um, I can vouch for the amount of work 
Um, and, and Brother Farouk, you know, he was humble enough not to, uh, n- not to go too much into uh, the fact that these guys are professionals within their own fields, which are separate from the duties and the, 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 the work that they carry out. And, and you know, I, I, I mentioned the 28 day, but the 28 day is the actual setting up within the 28 day, setting up of, of this, this little town. But I've seen the number of days, weeks, and months where brothers like Farouk and all of his team, they start six, nine months before yeah. where they're sitting and doing meetings. And this is a one-off. I know Farouk. I know he's been doing this for a decade. Mm. I mean, and to do that... Just look at the size. This is not something you just plan or start. Exactly. Oh, let's, let's just go uh, a month and month and a half before. No. That's it. You know, the challenges no, that, as, that as uh, face is, is we don't see them. As Brother uh, Farouk also mentioned, the planning for next Jalsa, next convention starts now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, you start to look at what went wrong, what didn't, uh, what could be improved. Uh, we call it a red book meeting, and that's when the planning for the next uh, convention starts. There we go. And, and I think, like with any event, if things didn't go wrong, then I'd be worried. Mm. <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's it's a it's a given that on such huge events, yeah, um, um, there will be there there, there will be um, you know there will be issues. there will be challenges. Yeah. There will be challenges, and that's how we look at them as challenges, mm. and we conquer them. But because you know, in in, in these events. We, we are guided. We are guided. We've got divine guidance by yeah. His Holiness, Hazrat yeah. Mirza Masood Ahmad, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah. May Allah strengthen His hand, who is with us every step of the way. As Brother Farooq said, most of the guidance, if not all, yeah. comes from His Holiness, who sees, you know, He, he can envisage things um, five, six years ahead. And the proof of that is exactly this year. This, what happened this year, the team that was set up this year was something mm. that was envisaged by His Holiness five, six years ago. That's what it is. Our next guest for today is Mrs. Shazia Bhatti. She actually was on the women's side and she did cleanliness duty at this year's annual convention. We're going to speak to her and ask her about her experience at this um, magnificent event, which attracted, as we said, more than 40,000 people. Assalamu alaikum. Good afternoon. PC Ponyan, welcome to the Draft Time Show. Assalamualaikum, Thanks for having me. Jazakumullah for joining us today. Now, <clears throat> cleanliness duty at the convention is a big one. We, as I mentioned, so if we're talking about forty thousand, we split that almost half half, so fifteen to twenty thousand on on each side. How are you able to cope with the amount of people? And then, of course, it's not it's not one hall. It's not just one field where everybody is together. It's a it's a huge site. How how do you how does that work? It is a huge site, and was even bigger this year with the expansion of the, the site. So um, I was the nazma for the cleanliness room, which is the cleanliness of the actual site. So we weren't involved in the inside of any tent. Um, but Alhamdulillah, thanks to Allah, we have uh, an amazing team. Um, ranging from, you know, um, older lady to younger to very young um, Nasrat and the under seven who, who actually love to do the duty. And while we're doing the duty and walking around, there are so many children that come up, can we have a go on the litter pickers? And can we have a turn? And, you know, where's your office? Can we come and join you? Um, and it is such a big um, job that we have to do. But Alhamdulillah, there are so many people that want to help. 
Um, and as we're walking around, people are saying, you know, we, we've collected all our rubbish together. Can we can we give it to you now? Um, and, and that's so nice to see. Now, we asked uh, Brother Farouk the same question, that because of the rain, because of the weather, it was quite wet, it was quite muddy. Does that propose any difficulties for you while, while you do your duty? Well, in a way, it actually makes it a bit easier. Um, when it's really nice and hot and sunny and everybody's enjoying the weather, you get many more people eating outside. Mm. Um, and obviously with the eating of the outside or, or being outside more, um, there comes to be more rubbish. Um, whereas actually when it's muddy and a bit cold and a bit rainy, there aren't so many people out and about. Um, so although the work we have to do is going through the mud because with the wind the way it was this year, you know, any bits of rubbish were just literally yeah. flying around in the wind. And so we have to go into the muddy bit, but we've got our boots, so, you know, we're all right. Um, <laughs> and we definitely don't dress as though we're at a wedding. You know, we are <laughs> properly dressed in terms of, um, you know, our jeans and our, our, our coats and our, um, um, wellies. you know, boots. Yeah, exactly, the wellies that yes. everybody had. Um, and because of that, actually, it's quite nice. And when it is really hot, actually, it's too hot to walk around in and do the lift fitting mm. um, and get sunburned. And it, it's not that easy to do. So this year, alhamdulillah, although it was muddy and, and wet, actually, it was actually a really nice job to do. Wonderful. Now, one, one question that a lot of people do ask themselves, and especially when it comes to big events like this, is the... Ways and means that we can reduce the amount of rubbish, or anything that we can implement to get this message across. What do you think can be done at at an event like the Jalsa Salana, and of course the site? Well, as you were just talking a few minutes ago about the Red Book meetings, um, I've started having my Red Book meetings with my with my Naib Nazma already, um, and one of the things that we were just talking about is maybe trying to encourage people to bring their own reusable plate, spoon um, and, and glasses, you know, plastic glasses, um, so that we can, we can really reduce the amount of rubbish. And, mm. you know, recycling is brilliant and we'd love to do more recycling, but we know that, that the, um, the, paper, the paper plates that we use, when they've got food in them, when they've got any grease on them, they can't be recycled. Mm. So for the plastic, I think we need to expand on um, how we do our recycling. There was a recycling um, uh, department this year as well. Um, so I think we need to expand that department. Um, and I think also we need to look into how we can encourage as many people as we can. I mean, for us in our little office tent that we had, you know, we um, labelled all the glasses and we used the same glass for three days for drinking. We um, reused all the spoons. We just cleaned them, washed them, rinsed them and used the same plastic spoons. So... Because obviously, if you're eating there three times a day, um, there is a lot of plastic that is wasted. Mm. And we really need to, um, I think, as a demand, look at ways to reduce that, um, that, that wastage that we, we can, anything that we can reduce. Obviously, there will be things available for those that are coming from abroad. They may not be able to, or those that forget. But yeah. I think for, for some people who can do it, I think it would be really good to do it. Wonderful. Lastly there, uh, I want to ask you, that you mentioned your team, that they're are you know members from all age groups i'm sure they have different backgrounds as well what motivates you and your team to to do this for three days and beyond 
I mean, I think for me and my team, it really does feel like we're working and we're doing a duty for Jelsa. I've done other duties in the past where I'm sitting in the office, and obviously those are very important as well. But I didn't really feel like I was working. Um, you know, when you're out all day and you're doing, and you can actually see the difference. There are times where, you know, there has been, been rubbish and we get our team out and it's completely spotless afterwards. Um, so I think those are the things that motivate me and the team. The, the children that help us are amazing. They, they are so dedicated. And I think also the fact that these children are being taught at school about caring for their environment. Mm. And we are teaching them in their martial arts classes that, you know, about, about how the Holy Prophet used to, um, you know, try and save water and, um, and how we need to look after our environment, look after our planet. Um, and these are the small things that mean that our children um, and the, the next coming generation are so keen on doing these things um, that I think that, that's what really motivates us all. Um, it's, you know, what, the way we do our work is that we all get earpieces, we have them on in our ears so that we're not missing any of the delta as mm. we carry on cleaning um, because it is, we don't want to miss and we don't want the children to miss listening to the delta proceedings as well. And this is a particular duty where we can listen to the whole proceedings. And one of the things which is lovely is the big screen that they have outside. So if there is a specific thing that we want to go and watch, you can do and you can, you can um, you know, partake in that as well. Wonderful. Mrs. Shazi Ortiz-Zakala, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your experience at this year's annual convention. Zakala, Assalamu alaikum. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call now. We here at the Voice of Islam, we did a three-day coverage from the site as well. I mean, you brothers were there. I switched alliances for the three days. How was that experience for you? Uh, it was, I think, this year by the grace of Allah. Um, Should we get Akib in here and tell us about tell we, us about the tech stuff? That's that's. Uh, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Akib, come and in here. We we were a lot bi- we were a bigger operation than yeah, last year, yeah. which just shows that how um, the radio voice of Islam has grown mm. um, within uh, its programming and the way it uh, the way it runs, um, how things have improved. We had more and more shows. We were able to connect for a 12-hour period where we had um, shows from all walks of life. Mm. Um, before that, uh, we used to have a uh, scarcity of presenters, but this year there was none of that. We you know, we had science shows, we had uh, Humanity First shows, we had some live shows, mm. um, like uh, Drive Time started Thursday, we still had Saturday Morning Live. So this year there was, um, and, and we had some... Uh, we had some youngsters who joined us um, who um, who did some wonderful work, mm. some excellent work. You mentioned Brother Akib, who is a you know, engineer in the tech. But th- we had some uh, young volunteers who arrived from Belgium, from Holland, mm. um, who had uh, given up their time to come and learn um, about um, radio and about Voice of Islam so they can uh, use whatever they learn and the expertise they do pick up um in uh, in uh, <clears throat> in their respective countries where you know either they are looking to set up something similar um or they already have something similar so there was young uh, young brothers like uh, Sadaka there were young brothers like Ahmad Hassan mm. uh, there were young brothers like uh, Tosi from uh, from Holland so brothers Sadaka's from uh, from Belgium. from Holland uh, from Belgium, Belgium sorry yes yeah. Ibrahim, um, Imam Ibrahim. Um, there was yes, Imam Ibrahim, who also came from uh, um, from Holland. So there were a number of people. 
there were a number of people mm-hmm. um, there was uh, there's young brother from from East London brother other mm-hmm. so so there was a lot of youngsters who joined the team um, and uh, you know again personal opinion I always find that youngsters who are on the front line they create a, a very different kind mm-hmm. of atmosphere um, there's more camaraderie their their willingness to help more there's young brother Fahim sorry how can mm-hmm. I forget mm-hmm. uh, young brother Fahim Mirza he was there as well so we had so, so we saw the beginning of a of, of, of a new team building for future yeah um, and that was so exciting to see that uh, you know there was so much love and and, uh, and brotherhood there was there was real brotherhood and that wasn't just seen um, from from a personal point of view I um, you know for me learning I, I met some old friends and met some new friends um, uh, the pan-african marquee mm. where brothers from all over Africa they gathered together under this the the, the, the pan-africa team uh, I met some really old friends caught up with old friends met some brothers from Gambia from Uganda there was brother Jamil there was there was Imam Abdurrahman from Gambia mm. uh, there were brothers from Ghana there, again you know for, for, for me it was um, it, it was reconnecting um, and and we we uh, we always talk about it um, as a spiritual gathering and brother Daniel referred to it, and you yourself referred to um, the sermons and the addresses given by His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masurama, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, and and that's a given that of course they're they're, they're going to be um, you know um, in, in inspirational and and they're going to be kind of a, a reboost to your system. But listening to Imam uh, um, Azhar Hanif's speech, um, I thought it was so amazing um, the way he spoke and addressed uh, the gathering. Um, where uh, he talked, he, he talked about the practicalities of Islam and mm. how you you utilize the knowledge and and um, and the learnings from Islam in the world that we are living in, the, in the challenges that we face in in today's society. It was it was beautiful to to listen to him, um, and, and, you know, on and guiding us mm. um, on on how um, the societal changes, especially within the Western worlds with the up-and-coming um, uh, new parents mm. and, and the challenges that we will face and we need to face head-on. Mm. Uh, but it was, it was also comforting to know that, there, that the community is here and the elders are here and the wisdom is there and, and the teaching and the training is available for young and new parents, um, which they can latch on to and, and, um, and have that extra sense of security to know <clears throat> that um, we're in the right place. I, I, I think we have uh, now uh, Brother Jamil Bhatti with us online, who is uh, was the head of the car park department. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Brother Jamil, Zakira, thank you so much for, for listening, uh, for, for joining us today. Um, I mentioned you were responsible, you were looking after the car park. So, as head of car park, uh, the car park department, what what exactly does that entail? What's your role? How big is your team, and and what does that team do? Yeah, uh, Jazakallah, firstly for having me on the show. Um, so, just for the listeners' benefit, that um, essentially during the Jalsa, and some of you may may know that this year we didn't have a car park available 
and on most of the days in country market which we are used to over the previous years. Um, so we do have a number of car parks um, on different locations within the Hadikatul Madi site. Um, now myself, I was looking uh, overlooking the main car park uh, in Hadikatul Madi, which accommodates the largest number of cars um, uh, at Jalsa. And in terms of uh, the demand power, I think we had uh, uh, enrolled just over 150 Khudam and some Ansar as well mm-hmm. um, uh, for our team. Um, and how many, sorry, sorry to cut you off, how many different car park teams or car parks do we have? Okay, yeah, so we, so, so if you're familiar with the site, um, if you enter... Uh, to Adikatul Madi, the first car park you generally uh, get to enter is the Adikatul Madi car park. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, based on the uh, instruction which has uh, set out that we are expecting a large number of guests, we had to prepare uh, and look into other available spaces where we could potentially park more cars. So this year we had another uh, car park on back of the bazaar, um, which uh, is was called Overflow Car Park, and that had a capacity of around. So the main car park had a capacity that we calculated around 4,000 cars, mm-hmm. and the Overflow um, we had penciled in for around 1,300. Um, the guests um, uh, outside the community and other dignitaries, they usually park at the back of the jalsa. I mean, well, it depends how you look at it, but main, we call it yeah. uh, from the Tabshi uh, area where the bleach guests and external guests come to. And we call that the reserve car park. And that this year, because we had a scale down and, in fact, scale up of the whole jalsa site, we had a jalsa uh, lajna site and going back to the original size as it was pre-COVID, so the reserve car park was slightly reduced, but still quite a sizable uh, space. And I think that had a capacity of around 1,000 uh, cars. And in addition, we had another space that we had to find uh, that is maybe some of you not know. If you watch MTA and MTA showing from the top, usually Hazus Kafla is passing by a certain a house, a guest house, and it, pass, it passes a bridge. And there's a space area in the back that was also used, which we haven't used uh, any time of what I recall. So this year it was quite special that because we didn't use the country market as an hmm. uh, alternative site, we had to accommodate all the cars on in on Hadikatul Madi. So according to my calculations, we're close to six, three, seven, seven thousand cars. Uh, yeah. 000? So so we in Alhamdulillah, I think we had around more than seven thousand cars on site. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well done. All right. So and you manage one of those, right? So making sure that people park in the right direction, park with the right uh, distance to each other, so we can accommodate the four thousand yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay, now, do you, again, I'm, I'm sure you're not parking attendants or wardens or traffic control uh, what, what are you trying to say here? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> they, be, they do become those over the, over the, the three days. How do you train uh, you, your, your team to manage so many cars? Yeah, no, no, well, yeah, um, 
luckily I'm not, but uh, I can appreciate well, this. I mean, it's not a bad <laughs> job, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, but I, st- I definitely appreciate that. I apologize to all traffic wardens out there who are listening. (laughs) (laughs) No, but they're doing a great job. I mean, it's quite a stressful task. I mean, after three days of Chelsea, you realize how stressful it is. Um, But no, yeah, in terms of the training, I mean, luckily last year I had the opportunity to do look after the reserve car park, uh, which is a bit, it's a fraction of the main car park, but it, it gave me a good insight in terms of the different aspects that you have to consider when you're parking up uh, you mentioned a couple of them distance and direction which are quite critical because uh, space is scarce there so we have to use as much space as efficiently and to be honest if you park the cars in the wrong direction it actually can impact the traffic on the road hmm. so all that was kind of gone through we had professional training from the external park uh, company as well to explain us how we can efficiently park cars. Um, so we had a number of training sessions before the Jalsa. Um, we had multiple sessions with, firstly, with the different team leads. We had in the main car park around eight zones. Um, and those who have been to the Jalsa, they may have seen some flags with the number. Mm. We were in total eight zones. And essentially, we had teams for each zones allocated. Uh, so we had to make sure that each of the team, because each area has its uniqueness, um, some is close to the Jals side, other is quite far up the top of the hill. So each zone has its own um, problems and advantages that mm. uh, the team has to consider in terms of how to get the cars into the zone, how to get them out. Uh, you will have people who want who are disabled. We have to accommodate them as well. So all these different aspects, just to mention a few, yeah. that have to be discussed and explained to all of the team mm. members. Yep. Lastly, there, I want to ask you as well, what motivates you to keep serving? I mean, look, you are out there in the elements. So if it's sunshine, it's good and fine, but that sun can be quite tricky at times as well. If it's raining, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you're again, uh, that, that rain is not very <laughs> pleasant if you have to stand there for like two hours. So all yeah. of this, keep keeping this in mind, what's what's a memorable moment for you? What is it that, for you and your team, what motivates you to, to keep serving, to to keep doing that duty? Yeah, I, I, I wish it was two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think a lot, uh, by the grace of our God, um, all our youngsters, most of them, the majority of them, um, have started, were used to come some kind of duty at Jalsa, right, with their fathers. Um, uh, and so they are familiar and yeah. they understand the sacrifice and the spirit behind doing this volunteer duties, right, and the blessings that come out of it. So most of this kind of education and training has been happening on uh, among myself, including from our young age. Yeah. So having said that, all of us have maybe some families sometimes it can get difficult to you have to let your family put aside for three four days and be there from the morning before most of the guests arrive and leave after everyone has left so uh, i mean the motivation is just uh, i think understanding that this is the chalsa that uh, was initiated by the promised messiah islam and there's large number of blessings Mm. associated with this and that this is just an opportunity for us to take some of these blessings and that's really what motivates me because there's no 
financial reward yeah. as everyone yeah. understands. Wonderful. Well, Jimmy, but Zakir, I thank you very much to you, and uh, congratulations to you and your team for 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 an amazing um, three days and all the work that you've done, Zakir. Once again, thank you so much. Assalamualaikum. You know, you talk about training. It, it reminds me of uh, <coughs> the, the different various addresses which His Holiness gave on the inauguration and on the Friday, and then over the years, it's been the same. Peace be on you. Smile. Yeah. And may Allah reward you. Um, is that's the training for everyone. That's how you that's how you treat your guests. But we've mentioned so many office bearers. We've mentioned the volunteers, and you know it would be an injustice not to mention the guests, the guests of the Promised Messiah, mm. who attended mm. this uh, this 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 spiritual gathering, where they did play their part as well, where the weather was challenging, but they showed patience. Um, and 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 the reason I mentioned that is because, as Brother Farooq said, it was challenging. It was very challenging, but everybody came through um, in in a in a in an excellent manner. We're going to go to the five o'clock news, and then we'll continue with this for just a little bit, and then moving on to topic number two. Stay with us. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Voice of Islam, the Drive Time Show on the Voice of Islam. And today we are going back and taking a look at some of the lessons that we've learned from the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that took place last week on the Friday, Saturday, and on the Sunday in the Hampshire countryside, where 40,000-plus people descended on that little um, tent village, in that tent village, and uh, took away lessons for the rest of their lives. The highlights, of course, as always, are the speeches, the addresses of His Holiness, Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And the crazy thing about this, well, not crazy, but the amazing thing about this convention is that there's five of them. No other convention in the entire world does have that. So you have the Friday sermon, the, the inaugural address, and to the ladies an address, and then there's another address on that Saturday, and then, of course, the final address on a Sunday. And, again, for someone who... Listens to all five of them. There is ample information. There's ample guidance for you to implement in your life during your life. Basically, this is not something that is only uh, for those three days, and then you listen to it and you just yeah go away with it. No, if you and again we started off the show with with this question: What did you take away from it? One thing we mentioned, brother Daniel, myself, and you as well. The second thing we're gonna do after. We have spoken to our next guest who is joining us now on the line. We're now going to speak <coughs> to our uh, next guest, Miss Tahmida Rahman. She is uh, 11 years old and uh, yeah, it starts at an early age. <laughs> From the age of 7, 8, uh, you start whatever is given to you. And I think this is, this is well, at least this is how I started. I don't know, Brother Kim, in your times... 
Did you have? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was it? The Let's pot, not like, go what, there. Let's go how, straight to like, the guest. Was, was it the leather? <laughs> was it the pouches they used to have? Oh, um, may Allah bless you. May yeah. Allah bless yeah, you. We'll, you we'll know? come to that. We'll come to that. But <laughs> we'll, we'll come to that uh, in just a little bit. We are going to speak to Tahmida. Tahmida Rahman is going to share her experience with us of this year's Jalsa. Assalamu alaikum, Tahmida, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Walaikum assalam. Jazakallah for having me on the show. Thank you very much for jo- to, for joining us today. Now, I want to ask you, was this your first time doing the water duty at Jalsa? Actually, I've been doing water duty for several years. I started when I was six years old. Oh, wow. And my first duty was in 2018. I did water duty for two years before COVID struck. And this is my second year after COVID. Wonderful. Now... How many people do you give water to? I mean, are we looking at 10, 12, or is that more? And is that is that not tiring, going around the whole entire marquee, which is quite massive, to be honest, to give out water? Not really, but your feet do start to ache after distributing around 5 to 10 bottles. But then we get breaks and we're back up again. Wonderful. Did you make any new friends? Yes. I made friends with the girls who were doing water duty, and I also made friends with the Bajis in charge. <laughs> they were so kind and friendly and we had loads of fun together. And they, I'm guessing they're from a different part of the country, isn't it? Yeah. Wonderful. What's the best thing about doing that duty, in your opinion? In my opinion, the best part of my duty is when the guests smile and say thank you back to me. Hmm. And another good part of water duty is that I get to meet a lot of new people. Wonderful. However, the ultimate best part with being able to see Hazur on the second day of Jalsa Sulana mm. when he came over to the Lajna side. That is the highlight, no doubt. And lastly there for you, next year, what do you think? Are we sticking to the same duty or do you have anything else in mind? Inshallah, if I get the opportunity, then I probably will do water duty. Right. However, I might branch out and try a different duty in the coming year. I'm sure Voice of Islam is looking for volunteers on the women's side. But yeah, we'll we'll be yeah. in touch. Tamida, Zakala, thank you so much for 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 joining us today. Thank you so much. The Holy yeah. Prophet, may, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said, "The best charity is giving water." Yeah, you know, in the in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, for the even even before Islam, the there was a specific tribe. That was they were, to, their responsibility. They were responsible That's for right. giving water to the pilgrims, yeah. mm-hmm. and that was a very, very um, noble duty. Noble and mm. and and uh, hi- highly demanded. I mean, it was it was in, in highly prized, high, highly yeah. praised, and 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 they would fight for that. Mm-hmm. I think for for that uh, well, the, honor. The, the meaning of and on and the, what this narration leads to is that giving water is one of the greatest charitable tasks. Mm. Um, a person can 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 do because it's one of the one one of those uh, duties which brings you closer to God Almighty yeah. to quench the thirst of a thirsty person. Yeah. Joining us now is uh, Shawez Ahmed. Shawez, as I mentioned before, he worked in the roti plant. The rotis are the flatbreads that are being prepared for the guests of the Promised Messiah, the guests of the, that convention who come there so they can enjoy that bread. Shawez, assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Wa alaikum assalam. Uh, Jazakallah for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, 
so when I say there's a there's a plant, I I, I like it, it literally is a plant. So what are the different roles in that plant to ensure that the preparation of of that bread goes uh, smoothly? So actually, there's actually many many different roles in the plant itself. But I think it mainly splits into three main ones. Um, so the first one is obviously bringing all the ingredients from storage to the actual roti plant, all the ingredients needed to actually make the roti. And so, uh, I think we're going to try to reconnect to Showiz because the, the voice is a bit low and we'd love to hear from him what he has to say. I believe or the Akib is going to reconnect to that. You know, what? One, one time I actually thought about this. If you start at the very beginning, there's a, there's a small little marquee. I noticed that all they do is cut onions. Really? On, onions and potatoes. Mm. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Maybe they, they've changed that, but... I think this was like three years ago, three or four years ago. So it's it's at the very beginning of mm-hmm. of the whole site, where the where the kitchen area is, and 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 that's one of the first marquees. It's a small little I don't know, it's like six by six or three by three, and all they do is cut onions and potatoes. <laughs> if you take that marquee away, yeah, there's no kitchen. There's no kitchen. There's yeah. no food, <laughs> and everything just crumbles. It's it's amazing. All right, let's let's see if we can get Shawiz back. Assalamualaikum, Shawiz. Yeah, well, like, oh, much better, much better, better. Yes, right, you were right, saying right. so. Ingredients, one part. Yeah, as I was saying, big part is bringing the ingredients over, actually, and then the next part is basically the whole machine and the conveyor belt, actually getting all the ingredients inside so the machine can do the work, and so there's different people's ensuring the right stuff goes in at the correct uh, correct places and stuff like that. And so once all the ingredients and everything is sorted and goes into the machine, there's a lot of people actually around the around the conveyor belt and the machine itself doing quality checks, ensuring that every part of the machine is working correctly. And then, so when the plant actually starts and the rotis, you know, um, they start getting made, being cooked, being like flattened out and everything, my main role was actually packing the duties. So the third part is basically all the people and responsible for packing the rotis. And even in that small subsection, there's actually six people on each side of the conveyor belt. And so it starts off by people stacking each roti into stacks of 10. And someone picks up that stacks, and then another person opens the plastic bags which they're packed into, Hmm. and they basically put it together. And then the next person takes out all the hot air so it can be ready for sealing. And there's another machine, and the and the cardam is that machine that seals the bag, and then finally that bag goes into the trays, ready to be transported to the jalsaga. And so that's that's the main role I was responsible in. But as you can see, there's many different roles in basically three parts of the roti mm. plant. Yeah. How do you keep that cost of ingredients that you mentioned? That you know the first step. How do you keep that to a minimum, and also, you know, so 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 less food is basically wasted yeah so in my personal experience um the waste uh, the waste control is very very good at the plant and so obviously we're given an estimate on how many rotis we need to make and so we usually try to meet that estimate and go a little bit over and because the rotis they don't really have a shelf life per se all the excess rotis are given to the jalsa guests as they're leaving and uh, concluding session so mm. there's never really 
making too many rotis because yeah. even if we end up doing that, they're all distributed out to the different people, people work in duty and the guests, obviously. But in terms of the actual making of the rotis, because the machine is programmed so well, um, it doesn't let in any more ingredients or any more stuff than it needs to hmm. and it ensures all of that is um, in before it starts the plant. And that's what makes all the rotis uh, consistent. Um, so one pack is not different than the other and it also ensures that there's basically minimal waste of ingredients because there's no excess or there's no too little. Yeah. Once the set amount is met, uh, the machine basically starts running. Can I ask you what you do in in like in life? What what's I mean your job? What are you still in school? What is it? Me me and life. So I'm starting um, university in September. Okay. Um, so it's just summer holidays. So me, yeah, I'm my main thing is I'm just doing some pre reading and work for that Good. at the moment. What what um, what field are we talking about? Oh, I'm Alhamdulillah. I'm going to be starting medicine at Imperial yeah. wow. in September. Yeah, that is uh, amazing. So you're, you're. I mean, that that's quite a part. Medicine on one side, and then baking <laughs> flatbreads <laughs> for three yeah. days, and and yeah. we're not taking talking about like a couple of hundreds, but thousands. Um, nine thousand an hour. <laughs> nine thousand an <laughs> yeah. hour. Yeah, yeah. That is amazing. So what? I mean, you will get that training for med- for medical school for your professional career, but as far as this is concerned. What what training are you provided with? So training, so this was my second year. So last year I did roti plant for the first time. And then all the staff, they are very, very helpful. Um, they just, before you, you're not really like put straight onto the conveyor belt where it's kind of high pressure. You're kind of shown what to do. And there's Start always baking. someone with you. Sorry? Start baking, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't say, yeah, here you go. Start baking. <laughs> and someone will ask you, yeah. It's not like that. Um, which people might think so when uh, there's always someone with you, especially yeah. at the start. And even experienced people, like there's always someone asking, going around, genetic help and stuff like that. But in mm. terms of training, um, to be fair, it's not too difficult because they just make it so easy for you. They show you yeah, how everything's yeah. done, what's the correct way, what's the tricks to basically um, do everything fast and correctly without actually like breaking your back or something like that. And um, if you do need help, obviously there's, always people there just to switch you out Wonderful. and uh, give you help and basically if you need a break you get a break you yeah. get a break Shabiz last question for you your favourite memory what is it that you've taken away from this year's convention my favourite memory I think at every Jalsa it has to be the birth the initiation ceremony mm. I don't think any any anything else really tops that the atmosphere that really fills the room during yeah. the initiation ceremony is uh, you can't really describe it but to give us more of a niche favorite memory, I guess, about the plant is um, about half an hour after Hazur's concluding session and his speech, um, you can basically, everyone at that plant can see the finish line. And so I remember when the last roti was rolling over along the conveyor belt and it, when it finally came to the packing staff and we finally packed it, um, someone raised a loud slogan, Nare Takbir, as per custom. Mm. And then everyone in the plant once said Allah Akbar and there was a really like large sigh of relief and yeah. there was a sense of accomplishment and so we all knew by the grace of Allah and then through the prayers of Hazur that we had Alhamdulillah managed to feed the guests of the Prophet Messiah and then that is probably my favorite memory because I felt like uh, I felt like I really did take a part in feeding people 
and helping people basically. No, I can vouch for that. Those rotis are delicious, always on point, always the same taste. And mm-hmm. the the warmer they are, the better they taste. Jazakallah, Shawes. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us today and, and, and sharing that wonderful experience with us. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. You awesome. Go. You awesome. have an ongoing, ongoing becoming a doctor. Exactly the and, point that we tried to make earlier, that you know, all sorts of professionals, uh, all sorts of people of various backgrounds, various disciplines, doing various things in life, doing very, very menial tasks. Yeah. Very successful people doing very. I had a doctor in mind, so we actually know him. Uh, I know a policeman, who Dr. Hasham. Yeah, Dr. Hasham, who presents here on the Voice of Sam sometimes. Mm-hmm. He is. I mean, he's, he's been doing this for years now. He's a floor manager in the MTA studios. Mm. So I mean, look, his daytime job all year round. He's a junior doctor. You know the. the and the latter part of the program, we're going to be talking about a personality. Mm. His son was one is oh, yeah, 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 one yeah. of the most senior successful finance people within within uh, the Muslim community and within the city broke at one time. Mm-hmm. He used to wash pans. Yeah, pots. Pots and pans. Pots, pots yeah. and pans. Big pots. That's the son of uh, the Nobel Prize winner who himself within you know he 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 has his own accolades and, and achievements and rewards. Sure. Um you know um and, and as I said a very very successful um, a finance man. Yes. Yet when he used to come to, I, I remember the days when he used to come from the city, um, and he used to have the you know in those days it was all about the mobile phone and the pinstrip sites and the yeah. car. Yeah. And the, and he used to come out from his his sports car, take suit off, <laughs> go in, change into his vest, and his uh, and and then he used to get the jet wash, and then he used to get going on on washing the pants. <laughs> You know, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's the spirit of brotherhood. That's the brotherhood that we're talking about. So, we but asked, uh, just just go back to the, you were looking for the, the you you were you were trying to find out what was that uh, material. It was it's a, it's a leather bag. Um, it's called in English. It's called a mashak, and in in M A S H A K, and in in Arabic, Hindi, and Urdu, it's called a mash. Um, yeah, and so it's a leather, leather it's, it's a leather bag leather, and leather uh, you know um, I was there mm-hmm. uh, you know in 10,000 BC was when, in, they, it when was, they started when it was invented so you, got, <laughs> so you, you have the monop- so you, you so, used it so I, I you know I was there copyrights but yeah. you you the without copyright. a doubt you got the copyright yeah, you know but the what? advantage of being of my age is that you know you, you've seen it all so they've told you about you like, know you, you've seen it all and when somebody asks you your age you don't care <laughs> But they did tell you about water bottles. Now we have these days. Like yes, you can carry uh, we, liquid we, we, in bottles. You see, in my days, different we, sizes. We used eco-friendly, eco-friendly things like leather, whereas ah. your generation is. Yeah, the, you might want to come back to that. You know, with the plastic yeah, thing, you yeah. guys have invented. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we've done a number oh, of shows good, on that's plastic. That's a good comeback. That's a good comeback. <laughs> we'll stop it right here, and then we'll continue with the program. So that was our segue on a Friday. Um, we asked the question, what do you miss about the Jalsa Salana UK 2023? If you've been there, if you've seen it on TV, if you heard it on Voice of Islam, I'm sure there's something that you can mention. And there's a lot of replies that we actually did receive. So one was the speeches of His Holiness, the Jalsa vibes, the spiritual atmosphere, the environment. Somebody actually did miss the mud, the whole atmosphere, the new converts experiences the sh- uh, they share with us through MTA. And then the um, the 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 incidences, the faith-inspiring incidents, uh, incidences that His Holiness narrates in his sermons or in his speeches, 
and uh, yeah, the whole atmosphere. And there's, as I said, there's a lot more on it. Brotherhood, by it. The duties. I do actually miss the duties as well, isn't it? I'm sure. How you feel? Food, of course. Um, surrounded by people who have also accepted the same religion as you, and the feeling of home. And lastly, the people and my team. <laughs> you know, there's always a joker. There's always a joker in these of responses. Course, of course I, I love, um, I love the response. The toilets. <laughs> 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 Brother, I won't take your name, yeah. but you know, you made me laugh. Um, just for the benefit of the listeners, a lot of people and uh, um, you know <clears throat> have have used the word bat. It is yeah. the oath of allegiance. It's the oath we take um, every year. It, it is referred to as the international uh, bat ceremony. But it's the oath of allegiance we take at the hand of the fifth caliph, currently the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, Hazrat Mizam Um And it is, um, you know, I, uh, on on uh, on the Saturday, um, Imam Usman Butt um, was uh, recalling an incident, uh, and in fact, an, a time where he bought a guest hmm. um, who attended the the ceremony, and okay. he was recalling that he when when uh, when the ceremony actually started, everybody links hmm. um, hands or everybody touches someone's on the shoulder. And this guest was standing behind Imam Usman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when the, the, the when, when the oath was taken and the prayer was done, and um, and you know it is an emotional ceremony. Yeah, of course. There there, there isn't there isn't a dry um, there there are no dry eyes. Mm. In, in that event um, and when it was all over and he looked behind you and this guest he said I couldn't help but join and I couldn't help but get emotional mm-hmm. because of what is created it's so in, in that ceremony within itself it is just so powerful I mean you know just the fact what you described the link that you create the yeah. human chain that That's you create right. right up to his holiness That's right. And then everybody is repeating after him in one voice in different languages. It's just, uh, it's a it's very, unique. very moving experience. And if people are interested in what the actual ceremony is, it's basically Ten Commandments. And we have done various shows on covering every single commandment. And if you do want to um, find out what they are, you can go on to SoundCloud and, or, or you can search it on voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, where every single commandment has been covered in different programs, conditions. and I'm um, and yep, yeah, sorry, conditions, conditions. But yeah. but just um, <clears throat> you know, th- th- there are ten conditions of of the allegiance, um, and uh, it, you know it's and I'm sure in the coming months and weeks uh, is something we do go back to on on a regular basis. But it's it's th- these these conditions that are set by the promised Messiah, mm. um, they're actually everyday um, yeah. practicalities that we use in our everyday life or we should that's, pract- that's we, the point we, that's yeah, the whole that's, point that's of whole it point behind, yeah. that, that you know it, that those conditions are guidance religious guidance which you use to live in the world that we are today yeah. because that's the true challenge of faith and religion is to have ethics morals values, faith, belief in God, but to still live in a challenging world and to apply those teachings 
in in your everyday life and and you know so many times we hear people they become recluse they go to or they or they go on to um you know mountains or they withdraw from the, the from the living world or they make a choice of either be religious or be worldly the beauty of islam ahmadiyya is it is to believe in god and to love god in every single act we perform to live in the real world mm-hmm. and that's what the conditions yeah. of this oath of allegiance are all about and and every year at this convention his holiness reminds us that look you've done it you you're part of this community if you're new if you're old if you're born in it if you accepted it later on doesn't matter his speeches and his sermons and especially you remember when i met you on i think it was the first or second day that's right yes um he 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 tells us look this is where you should be yes and oh, uh, that's the saying. day when i said <laughs> when i said his holiness just raised the bar yeah yeah because all this time we had been sitting there thinking oh we're we're on the right path yeah, and and we're, we, we're good and, and and we fool ourselves we're yeah. thinking we're getting there until his holiness comes and he says Listen what you've been doing is something that should have been done anyway. Yeah. So you sense. think you've achieved something? Think again. Yeah. And and but that's the beauty yeah. of the guidance that we have. There's always something to yeah. work for. But he 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 makes us realize tell yourself the truth. Yeah. You're fooling don't yeah. fool yeah. yourself. Yeah. There is a you know you've you've got a whole life ahead of you and that life is going to be the struggle of catching up with the bar which is going to continue to get raised mm-hmm. so so get yourself accustomed to that do not ever think oh i'm there yeah because the second you think you're there and you don't need you've actually dropped right to the bottom mm. that's where satan just exactly got a hold of you that's it All right, wonderful. Now, gentlemen, thank you very much for that. We're going to take a very very tiny short break here and then we'll move on to the second topic which is we're going to speak about Professor Dr. Abdul Salam, the first um Muslim Nobel Prize laureate in science. Um briefly talking about some of his uh, achievement or you know, his life, life sketch and as well as listening to some of the uh, comments by his contemporaries as well as other people. who knew him you're listening to the voice of islam today with myself raza qayyum and brother daniel you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on dab via the internet 24 hours a day writings of the promised messiah alayhi salam a wonderful revelation was vouchsafed to me in urdu in 1868 or 1869 it happened in this way molvi abu said muhammad hussein of batala who had at one time been my fellow student came back to batala after completing his divinity studies The people of Batala looked askance at him on account of some of his notions and ideas. One person was very insistent that I should debate a point in dispute with Maulvi Muhammad Hussain. Yielding to his insistence, I accompanied this man in the evening to the home of Maulvi Muhammad Hussain and found him in the company of his father in the mosque. 
To summarize, upon hearing the explanation of Maulvi Muhammad Hussain, I concluded that there was nothing objectionable in his statement, and consequently, for the sake and pleasure of Allah, I declined to enter into a debate with him. The same night, the revelation came to me from Allah the Noble with reference to my declining to enter into the debate. Tera khuda, tere fail se razi hua, aur wo tujhe bahut barkat dega. Yahan tak ke baadshah, tere kapdon se barkat hoonenge. Your God is well pleased with what you have done. He will bless you greatly, so much so that kings will seek blessings from your garments. Thereafter, in a vision, I was shown those kings. They were riding upon horses. Since my attitude of humility and lowliness was adopted purely for the sake of God and His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Allah, the Perfect, Benevolent, did not desire to leave it unrewarded. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining uh, to for to join for joining uh, <laughs> us here uh, on <laughs> the Draft Time Show. On a Friday afternoon here on The Voice of Islam. And they joke about my age. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, let's let's, 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 let's got, all go there. We don't have much time today. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, um, in this part of the program, in this half of the program, we're going to talk about Dr. Professor Dr. Abdul Salam, who's the first Muslim Nobel Prize laureate in science. We are going to talk about where it all started, what the reason is behind this show, and also... Uh, listen to some of the impressions by his contemporaries as well as people who knew him up close or just, you know, uh, as far as his work is concerned. The reason being is that Imperial College's management board made an announcement in June to name the Central Library after Professor Dr. Abdul Salam as part of its ongoing response to the... There was a, there was a report which was published in uh, the last, I think, two years ago, 2021, focusing on Imperial's associations with historical figures and under-celebrated people from its past. So people who have gone, who have attended Imperial College, made it um, known for something, but still uh, not as celebrated as they should. Now, writing to staff and students at Imperial College, the president, Hugh Brady, said, throughout his career, the Nobel Prize-winning professor of theoretical physics, Abdus Salam, made a tremendous contribution to Imperial as well as to the world of physics and science more generally. It is right that we do more to celebrate this legacy. I hope the new Abdus Salam Library inspires many more people in the years to come. Now, this was not just one thing that they did, so just <coughs> naming a library after Professor Abdus Salam. What they also plan on doing is to have you know, two more ways or things that they can uh, apply, not just in the case of Professor Abdul Salam, but also for the future under-celebrated people from its past that they were they're going to honor. Um, one is through physical displays such as portraits, um, and 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 you know, throughout the campus, not just naming the library, but also who was this guy? How did he look like? And uh, secondly, through scholarships. So in this part, in the last 25 minutes that we have left now, we're going to try to give you just a glimpse into the life of Professor Abdul Salam, as I said, the first Muslim Nobel Prize laureate in science. You, you know, just before Brother Daniel comes in, we are talking about the first <coughs> um, Nobel Prize winner for, for physics and science, but Muslim. 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 Yeah. But it's worth mentioning that, 
you know the golden the, the golden age of Islam physics was uh, was also kind of ruled by by Muslim physicists there were mm. you know um, there's Banu Musa who in in when the names were Latinized later on he was normally referred to as Ben Musa there was Abbas ibn Firnas who's nowadays known in the, in the books as Armand Furman there was uh, Abu Sahal al-Kuhi who is known as Kuhi Ibn Haytham al Haitian is is uh, is how they refer to it. Ibn Sina, um, Avancina, Ibn Baja, Amin Paisi, Nathaniel. Nowadays, they refer to him. His real name was Hibbat Allah Abu Barakat al Baghdadi from Iraq. There's Ibn Rushd, who's known as Avarus. These are some of the early Muslim physicists yeah. um, from the Golden Age. But I think it's also important to mention that that tradition was lost in yes. the yeah. that tradition of scholarship was lost in uh, in the Muslim society in general. That's right. Until it was revived in the, uh, the exactly. Muslim community, and and hence uh, that's the point I wanted to make. That look, this is a revival. Yeah. Um, of 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 this of scholarship. Uh, uh, academic excellence. Yeah, absolutely. So just to give uh, a little bit of a. Uh, of a background to who uh, this gentleman was. So he was born in 1926 to Chaudhry Muhammad Hussain and Hajra Nabi Baksh, uh, born in a two-bedroom, very small abode uh, in a small rural town in a place called Jhang in Pakistan. Um, then India. At that time, uh, obviously, India. Uh, yes, correct. Um, he... Um, Later on, went um, he got the highest uh, ever marks that were awarded uh, in a matriculation examination, and after that uh, result, the whole village actually celebrated. And he was, at 16 years of age, he enrolled in at the government college in Lahore. Uh, he then went on to uh, get a scholarship in Cambridge, in St John's College in Cambridge, and received a bachelor's degree with a double first in mathematics and physics with highest honors in 1949. The next, the very next year, he received the Smith's Prize for Cambridge University for the most outstanding pre-doctoral contribution to physics. So that's just a glimpse of what um, uh, you know, his, his academic career was. And um, for the next uh, few years, he pursued um, research in physics, and he later got uh, a Nobel Prize for uh, something that we will uh, come, uh, we will explain more um, in a little while. Sir Richard Sykes, who was the then rector of the Imperial College London in 2012, uh, as I said, we're going to play. There was this event that took place um, at the Imperial College in London where they celebrated 50 years of association of Professor Abdul Salam with, with the college. And so they honored him in different ways and everybody you know, had a few minutes to s- talk about him and, and some of the things that they remember, any outstanding qualities and attributes that he had. So we're going to start off with, as I said, Sir Richard Sykes, who was the then rector of the ICL. Let's see what he had to say. Abdus Salam is still someone uh, who I think has a great deal to teach us. And not just about physics. He was certainly a genius Uh, a Nobel laureate in a very complex field uh, that I'm not even going to try and explain uh, in front of a room full of physicists. But he came to Imperial in 1957, having previously studied in Lahore and in Cambridge. 
And I'm pleased to stay here, stay that uh, after that, when he came, he stayed for the rest of his career and retained his connections with the college until he died in 1996. He obviously showed great promise right from the start uh, of his academic career, gaining the highest marks ever recorded in the matriculation examination at the University of the Punjab. And he first joined Imperial as an active member of the maths department before going on to set up the theoretical physics group. And at the same time, he ensured that his links with his homeland remained very strong. He had a very keen interest in the scientific development of Pakistan, and he was a member of the Pakistan Atomic Energy Commission, a member of the Scientific Commission of Pakistan, and acted as chief scientific advisor to the president. When he was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1979, he had the distinction of becoming the first Muslim and the first Pakistani Nobel laureate. And that is something, I, I believe, which followed him throughout his life. This, this affiliation, this concern, this, this link to his homeland, as we said, it started in a very small little you know, place in Jung in 1926. It wasn't even Pakistan at that time. But then when after the split in 1947, the country was established, he would you know, <laughs> always have this back and forth until that day came where based on the fact that he was a member of a specific group of Muslims, yes, Muslims, they did call themselves Muslim and still do up to this point, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he was an Ahmadi, he remained from day one till his last breath, he was part of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and based on that, when they were declared non-Muslims in 1974, he then ultimately had to cut off all ties. But, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, Pakistan was established in 1947. Yeah. Uh, and under the the atomic energy we, we just heard there, yeah. uh, I guess talking about Dr. Islam, that he was head of the commission at that time. But <clears throat> within 15 years of Pakistan being established, um, Dr. Salam was part and parcel of the team that sent the first rocket. Mm-hmm. In space. Yeah, see, this something... In I, 1962. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Within 15 years. They have a space program. That's right. Yeah, they set up the uh, space program, then, which was... Uh, uh, so it's uh, the space agency, Saparko, was actually set up by uh, Dr. Abdus Salam in yes. Pakistan. And when you said that he had to cut off, um, or the government of Pakistan actually cut off um, yeah, their relationship with them, yeah. actually, he never cut off his relationship with the people of Pakistan. No. And he... he and know up, his culture. He um, oh, yeah, set up oh, scholarships... He continued to have literally thousands and thousands of people. And something that I want to sort of go into a little bit also in terms of, because that is what I think his legacy really is to to this day. So he set up so many different um, awards. And and, and if I can just uh, maybe, if you have a couple of minutes to to go through that. So so the first one is obviously um, the Abdus Salam, the Salam Center for Theoretical Physics in Trieste in Italy. So this is a place which was uh, set up in 1964 by Abdus Salam. It was his brainchild. He set it up from scratch. And today, thousands of people uh, are trained here, mostly from the third world. His idea really was that he wanted to set up uh, an institute where third world scientists from the third world could come 
and gain knowledge and rub shoulders with the people, with the scientists in the West and and learn and go back and serve their countries. So each year at the moment, ICTP, which is the International Center for Theoretical Physics in Trieste, brings together more than 6,000 world-leading and early career scientists and trains them um, uh, and um, uh, ensures that there is cross-pollination uh, of, uh, of, theory, of, uh, of uh, scientific work. And this was supposed to be not in Trieste. Yes, this was supposed to be in Pakistan. Yeah. So he wanted to set this up in Pakistan, but unfortunately, um, unfortunately for Pakistan, and I think fortunately for the thousands of uh, scientists uh, yeah. of the world, uh, it has it had to become an international place, and I think that was the destiny, and that's why God actually destined for yeah. it to be set up in in Trieste. Uh, then, uh, it, when he got his Nobel Prize, he he, he said uh, he declared actually that he didn't think that that particular award money of a million dollars or uh, one third of the million dollars that was his part, because the Nobel Award was was uh, shared between three scientists, belonged to him. So he gave it to. Um, so he set up a fund, hmm. and that fund set up the Abdul Salam Award, or the Abdul Salam Scholarship. And this, again, is a prestigious, pre- prestigious award that is awarded annually to Pakistani nationals in the field of chemistry, mathematics, physics, and biology. Awarded to scientists who live in Pakistan and are below 35 years of age. Um, and then they're given um, a cash prize um, uh, as a result of their... There's a, there's a committee which is which has been set up, which works to this day, Dr. Asghar Qadir, uh, formulated the rules, and um, and Dr. Uh, uh, Professor Asghar Qadir is currently the secretary of the Salam Prize Committee uh, in the National University of Science and Technology, NUST, in Pakistan as well. Uh, then uh, there is um, uh, TWAS, which is the World Academy of Sciences for the Advancement of Science in Developing Countries. This was also set up by Dr. Abdul Salam. It supports sustainable prosperity through research, education, policy, and diplomacy. It was founded in 1983 by a distinguished group of scientists from the developing world under the leadership of Dr. Abdul Salam. Scientists believe that by building strength in science and engineering, they could build the knowledge base and skills to address challenges in developing worlds such as hunger, disease, and poverty. Today, TWAS has 1,296 elected fellows uh, representing more than 100 countries and 11 of them are Nobel laureates. 84% of these fellows actually come from developing nations. That is amazing. And that, I think, believe, um, it, I believe, was, was the idea behind it, as you mentioned. Um, the next clip that we're going to listen to is basically of uh, someone uh, else. It's uh, K.R. Srinivasan, professor, who was, in 2002, he became basically the director of that institute that we were just talking about, the Abdus Salam International Center for Theoretical Physics in Trieste, where he held the Abdus Salam Honorary Professorship. Now, that message was given to that event that took place in the Imperial College and was read out by Professor Michael Duff, and this is what uh, they had to say. I have the honor of being the Abdus Salam Professor of Theoretical Physics at Imperial College, but there's another Abdus Salam professor, K.R. Srinivasan, who is the director of the International Center for Theoretical Physics in Trieste. He regrets that he was not able to be with us here today, but he's asked that I read his greetings 
I salute the Imperial College for celebrating 50 years of Professor Abdus Salam's arrival there. I regret being unable to attend the celebrations and am thankful to Professor Michael Duff for allowing me to greet you through this message. Salam received the Physics Nobel Prize in 1979 for his great work on electroweak unification of forces and his fame in physics rests unchallenged. As a human being concerned about poor countries and with scientists from there, Salam's contributions are simply unsurpassed. I hardly know another scientist who invokes the same deep admiration from the widest possible scientific community as does Salam. One of Salam's well-known quotes adopted as the ICTP's driving motto is that scientific thought is the common heritage of mankind. In the scientific legacy of our species, many countries and cultures have indeed made crucial contributions, some no doubt more than others. Salam's core concern was that science had become the province of the West in recent three or so centuries, and that the situation needed to be altered if the world as a whole has to share the benefits of science. He particularly bemoaned the fact that science in Islamic countries had fallen on hard times, and both privately and publicly cajoled Muslim scientists to change the situation in all possible forms. Unfortunately, his concerns remain by and large valid even today. His drive, goals, and ambitions are as relevant now as in his own time. There is a lot to be said about Salam, but I will pass in the interest of brevity. It suffices to say that Salam remains to be one of my heroes, and I am honored to hold a professorship in his name and to succeed him at the center that he so lovingly built. K.R. Srinivasan, Abdus Salam Research Professor and Director International Center for Theoretical Physics, Trieste. Thank you. Now you mentioned and you m might have noticed that from these comments as well as I think there's two more that we want to play here that th the relationship that he had with his faith, with his religion, with you know, Islam and what he envisioned for for people from all walks of life. I think more equality. Than, absolutely all of that. But I think even more than that, Imam Reza, you know, the pain he felt. Yeah. Uh, of the lack of s scientific knowledge, scientific method in the developing world, and and um, uh, the 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 division, the schism that caused mm. in terms of the 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 economic effects of that between the West, the North and the South, and the West and the East. Um, so so I think yeah he, he and as as was being mentioned there in in this particular um, quote that we played that he. Um, he really wanted to do something for for scientists for science in the third world, because uh, he didn't um, didn't agree with the fact that science mm. belongs in the West alone. Alone, yes, that's probably the point. Now, next up, uh, the second last uh, clip that we want to play is one is Dr. Aziz Rahman, who is the daughter, and one is of Ahmed Salam, the individual that we were talking about before, but you mentioned him. As children, as family members, what do what did they uh, think of, or what, what did they have to say about their father, the legacy, the the the, the training, um, and that environment that they had at home? We're gonna take a, a listen to that, and then at the end, um, there is the youth president at that time, uh, Mirza Fakhr. 
he also delivered a message on behalf of His Holiness, Hazrat uh, Mr. Ahmed, and what he had to say about Professor Abdul Salam. But let's let's listen to this one first, and then we'll be back after that. Have you ever had people you hardly know come up to you and ask, "What was your father really like?" Or better still, "What's it like being the daughter of such a great man?" As the eldest child of Abdul Salam, it's happened to me frequently. I never knew how to answer those questions, and I still don't. All I can do is to share a few of my favorite recollections with you and to simply say that I have been very blessed to be the daughter of such an incredible man. I'm sure that many of you know that my father's extraordinary story began when my grandfather, Jawadri Muhammad Hussain, was given the news of his birth and his name, Abdus Salam, in a vision in June of 1925 while offering his evening prayer. Consequently, my father was born in January of 1926 in Chang, which was at that time a small, insignificant village in the Punjab, without electricity or any other amenities. His family was not rich in worldly terms, but was very rich in traditions of piety, scholarship, and religious learning. My father actually began his illustrious career by winning his first award at the age of two, for being the healthiest, or rather, the fattest baby in Chang. <laughs> Of course, there was no stopping him after that. I'm honored to say that I don't think there were many distinctions, awards, or honors that were not conferred on him during his lifetime. My earliest memories of my father date back to when my mother and I moved to Cambridge with him from Pakistan. I was about three years old at the time. We lived in a small flat near St. John's College where my father was working. He had chosen to work at St. John's turning down an offer from the more prestigious Trinity College simply because the gardens of St. John's were prettier. One of the most valuable lessons we learned from my father was the importance of time. He would often remind us that time and tide wait for no man. He could not tolerate anything that he considered a waste of time. Television definitely came under this heading. So through most of our childhood, there was no TV in our home. It's wonderful to see so many of you give up a probably the only good Saturday we're going to have this year. <laughs> and actually enjoy, you could have been outside enjoying the good weather, so thank you very much. It's an honor to stand before you today here at Imperial and say a few words about my father. And thankfully, for both me and you, I only have a few minutes. I'm not quite sure what I can tell you about such an incredible man that you don't know already. Uh, you, know all, you know all about his science, his humanitarian work, his deep religious beliefs. You know all about his motivation, his simplicity, you've heard about his humility, you've heard about his total and utter dedication to the cause of equality and opportunity. So what does that leave me to tell you? Again, from the other speakers today, you've had fantastic and very interesting insights as to the character of the man. I always remember the wonderful story about lunch at Buckingham Palace with the Queen and Prince Philip. After lunch, when Her Majesty, members of the royal family and the corgis had left the room, and the guests were then asked to leave the room. Once all the guests had trooped out, father went back in and asked if he could have the napkin, because during the course of the lunch, he had scribbled some notes on the napkin, <laughs> and he wanted to make sure he didn't lose them. It's just amazing how he just would do that, but he, he did it on many, many occasions. And uh, I know I've heard these stories myself personally from Brother Ahmed Salam as well. Wonderful um, to hear what lessons they learned as children, what, what kind of a father he was t teaching them simple things and you know little things 
but in a very very interesting and, and subtle way we're going to play the last uh, clip for today as I mentioned this is a message from the then uh, uh, president of the youth association the auxiliary Org- organization of the Amdi Muslim community uh, and uh, his name was Mirza Fakhr at that time and he delivered a message of his holiness um, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed um, to the, 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 the listeners and to the attendees of that event we're going to be back with you on Monday, inshallah. Don't forget tomorrow and the day after the weekend world and the Saturday morning live shows, they're going to be with you. And the breakfast show is going to resume on a Monday as well as the draft time show. From all of us here, have a great evening, have a wonderful afternoon and weekend. Take care of yourself. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. First of all, I would like to congratulate each and every single person over here, really, but especially the staff, the students, and the alumni of Imperial College on the centenary of Imperial College. We hope and pray that the college itself has an even more distinguished career over the next hundred years and beyond. Congratulations and thanks are also owed to the college and the physics department in particular on hosting this event commemorating Professor Abdeslam's 50th anniversary of arriving at Imperial College. The Amdiya Muslim Association was formed in 1889 in a small town called Qadian in India. It was founded by Hazrat Mazaghulam Ahmed. The core message of the community is one of peace and understanding. The motto adopted by us is love for all, hatred for none. The community has been led by successive heads, known as Khalifas or Caliphs. Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed Sahib, Allah safeguard him, is the fifth successor to head the community, and it is a message from him that I will be reading out at the end. The Amdiya Muslim Youth Association was founded in 1938. Its key principles are of service to humanity, the community, the country, and of instilling in its members an everlasting yearning for knowledge and a thirst for education. We firmly believe that a good education coupled with personal development provides dividends both for the individual concerned and for society as a whole. In order to promote our links with academic institutions, we have introduced a number of uh, awards and prizes across the major campuses across the UK. Imperial is one of them. The Abdeslam Undergraduate and Graduate Awards, which we have just presented to David, are part of this initiative. And I really have to thank Professor Duff and also our Student Affairs Department, who were really had to go through some delicate negotiations in uh, finalizing before the award itself could be finalized. We actively encourage our youth to aspire to the lofty ambitions that Abdeslam set and had himself. Our wish is that others would follow in his footsteps. And the award presented today was part of it. Now I would like to read out a message from the head of the worldwide Amdiya Muslim community to the Salaam Plus 50 conference. Abdus Salaam was an Amdi Muslim from Pakistan, a renowned theoretical physicist who received the Nobel Prize in 1979 for his work in the electroweak theory. Although he was the first Muslim Nobel laureate, Pakistan's military dictator at that time could not admit that its brilliant scientist was a Muslim citizen. Dr. Salam's entire award 
was devoted to the furtherance of education and he did not spend a penny on himself or his family. Salam believed that scientific thought was the common heritage of mankind.